and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, let's start with a stat. Leaders spend 83% of their day listening, but only 2% have ever been trained on how to listen. So are they really listening or are they just waiting to speak? And it's not just about leaders. Is listening another one of those human skills we all just take for granted? We've all got ears, therefore we all know how to listen. Now, if that was the case, Why is communication pretty much always the number one issue people say you need sorting in their organization or personal life, or is the cause of some of the greatest frustrations that we find? How many opportunities do we miss every day by not listening properly and really hearing what's been said, or maybe more importantly, what's not been said? How many wrong decisions do we make because we haven't listened properly? Or we've misinterpreted what someone has really said. And what's the cost of all that? As you sit there listening to this episode, how many of you can honestly say that you're a great listener? And I'm interested, what makes you think that? How do you know? And what's your secret? Well, today I'm joined by a true expert in the field of listening, Oscar Trimboli. He's on a quest to create a hundred million of what he calls deep listeners. He's the author of the book, How to Listen, and host of the Apple Award-winning podcast, Deep Listening, where, as part of his research into world-class listeners, he's interviewed over a hundred of the most diverse workplace listeners, from air traffic controllers to deaf and foreign language interpreters, from hostage negotiators to spies. And he's had over 23,000 people contribute to his research into what gets in their way when it comes to listening. I'm really excited to hear from Oscar on how we can all become better listeners. And if I'm honest, a little bit nervous about exposing my own listening deficiencies too. Welcome to the show, Oscar. G'day, Andy. Looking forward to listening to your questions and sit back, relax and enjoy the ride. We're all imperfect listeners my quest is just that everybody would like to be a little bit better in their listening in the next conversation. So I'm not here to judge anybody's listening. <laughs> I know myself, I'm always improving every day. And after researching with 23,000 people and doing deeper research with 100 of the world's most diverse listeners, you know what I know about listening now that I didn't know five years? I know less. about listening than I did when I started, Andy. Well, I find that incredible because I feel 
for reading your book that I do know a little bit more. I'm definitely more conscious about listening and all the things that I'm sure we'll get into today that are behind listening. And I think it's definitely one of those things we must take for granted. I have had my eyes opened. I'm sure my wife will be incredibly grateful for you sending me this book. Um, But we're not here to discuss my domestic situation here today, Oscar. I am fascinated. Ironically, uh, Andy, I would like to share the title for a recent review of How to Listen, which says, listening, like sex and comedy, we all think we're better at it than we really are. What a great title. If, if only I could have thought of that for my uh, podcast title today, but that's fascinating. Um, I would love to find out a little bit more about you, if we can, first, Oscar. Can you give us a brief introduction to who Oscar is and a little bit more, perhaps, behind this 100 million deep listener quest that you're on? Well, if we zoom into a boardroom meeting between Sydney, Seattle, and Singapore, we're going back to April of 2008. There's 18 people in this budget setting meeting spread across the globe. And the meeting is scheduled for 90 minutes and it's called a budget setting meeting. The language is very deliberate. You have to set the budget before you leave the room. Now, it's all part of a process, but think about it as when the Olympics get announced, you know, everybody's got to vote and we can't leave until we've got a winner. These meetings are renowned for going over, Andy. They're renowned for going three, four, five hours until a resolution is made. And something weird happened at the 20-minute mark. My vice president, who was in the room and literally across the table from me, she looked me straight in the eye and said, Oscar, I need to see you immediately after this meeting. Now, no different to your wife, Andy, when she says, honey, we need to talk. It can't be good. Now, something miraculous happened. The meeting finished at the 70-minute mark with agreement and everybody left and the video cameras went off in the room and Tracy asked me to close the door. Now, from the 20-minute mark to the 70-minute mark, I had no idea what people were talking about. I'd stopped listening. All I was doing was trying to calculate how many weeks of salary I had left in the bank account. (laughs) And as I walked back into my chair to sit across from Tracy in that boardroom, she said, Oscar, you have no idea what you did at the 20-minute mark, do you? And I thought, I'm getting fired and I don't even know why. And as I sat down, Tracy said something that was truly profound. She said, Oscar, if you could code how you listen, you could change the world. And as insightful and as deep and as sagacious as that listening was in that moment of wisdom on Tracy's behalf. The only thing that was happening in my head is I was cheering out (laughs) aloud going, I can put all the money I took out of my bank account back in again. (laughs) Now, because I hadn't been paying attention, I got a 32% uplift in my budget line. So that's the cost of not listening in budget meetings. (laughs) I've been on a quest Ever since, and uh, the quest is to create more deep listeners in the workplace. And uh, I've got a hat tip to Kevin Monroe out of uh, Atlanta in Georgia who had a chat to me once and said, you know, Oscar, if you're going to have a quest that big, you're going to need some help. 
even McDonald's had more than one outlet. They didn't flip burgers all by themselves. Why don't you enroll some help? And there's a community of workplace professionals called the Deep Listening Ambassador Community who are also on this quest to create more listeners in the workplace by just being better than the next conversation that you have. So that's how we got to this place where we've written three books, we've created a listening quiz, we've got an award-winning podcast, we've got a jigsaw puzzle game, we've got practice cards. We've done a lot to code how to listen since then. It's amazing how many people I speak to, Oscar, where there is a moment in retrospect of kind of profound learning or stimulus that has set someone off on a path that maybe they didn't even realize until a little while later. And you've just sort of said that you hadn't really listened in the meeting. You got a 32% uplift in your, in your budget line and you were thinking about your bank account at that moment. When did you realize how profound that kind of, intervention if you like had been three weeks later our chief financial officer brian said to me oscar i need you to come to our budget setting meeting where we distributed the budget locally in our business and i want you to audit my listening a very finance term and i just said brian i haven't got time for this listening caper that you and tracy are dreaming up I just got a 32% uplift in my budget revenue line. And Brian smiled at me and he said, look, Oscar, I can't help you with your top line increase, but I can over allocate investment for growth. Brian, what time's the meeting? Where's it at? And as I sat there a week and a bit later watching him in a meeting, I noticed he asked very long questions. I noticed he cut people off. I noticed he only heard from a handful of people in the meeting. And as I was writing all this down, I came to realize I'm actually coding how to listen in that moment. And yeah, we've been coding. And when I say we, it's me and the deep listening ambassadors. I'm not doing this by myself. Um, We're coding all kinds of things in English-speaking Western workplaces about how people can have better conversations than the last one. I think it's really important work. And again, um, my experience in reading the book definitely shows how how important it is. And I may be even listening to you now that uh, whether you had taken for granted your own ability to listen and pick out how to listen, the way you just described what what that leader was or wasn't doing in that moment. Uh, not everybody, I guess, would be able to pick those things up. Has listening been something that's always been there in your background? Is there, what's, what's, what's happened in your life to kind of bring this thing to, I guess, the fore? Wow, I feel like I'm on the therapy couch. Sorry, now. my friend. <laughs> so... When when I was a teenager, what you don't know about me, I had a very protruded jaw, like a werewolf. When people get orthodontics put in, it's usually to straighten their teeth. If you think about a full fist, that's how far my jaw was protruding above the underbite. I looked like a werewolf, basically. And when you got braces on and you're a werewolf, 
you don't want any attention on you. So you become really good at asking questions in a group situation. You become very good at deflecting attention away and putting it back onto the other person. And you become very good at being a listener because you don't want to be doing the speaking because that means the spotlight's on you. And, you know, for me, most people had braces on for one or two years. I had braces on for, I think, four, four and a half, maybe five years. Can't quite remember. But I was also lucky to go to a school with 23 nationalities. We were right next to an immigration centre in Australia. And uh, in those days, there were people coming from Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia. There were people coming from Chile and Uruguay and Argentina and Brazil. There were people coming from Eastern Europe. And the only thing that unified it, besides playing football or soccer, depending on which part of the world you're listening in right now, was an Italian card game that was pay, played in pairs, um, no different to bridge, I guess. I've never played bridge, but they kind of play in teams of two and stuff like that. And because I was a, a native monolinguist, I only spoke English, uh, teams would pair up in their home language and they'd always uh. <laughs> have really tough games against other other teams because they could completely converse well, you know somebody would be speaking polish and somebody would be speaking spanish and you know they're not really close or somebody would be speaking vietnamese and somebody would be speaking in greek and i'd be the pickup player occasionally somebody would have a team of only one so i'd jump in and what they didn't realize is I wasn't paying any attention to what they were saying. I was watching where their hands were on the cards. I was watching where their lips were moving. I was watching their eye rolls and their movements. And all of a sudden, you know, 30 years down the track, Andy, I realized I was starting to quickly build muscles in how to read body language. And they never could understand why I beat them consistently with my partner, even though we didn't speak at all while we were playing because we didn't have really good common language that they didn't understand. Mm. So if we spoke English, they'd have no problem understanding what we'd say and we'd still beat them because their body language, the confidence of speaking in a different language meant that they dropped their guard when it came to hand positions on cards and the kind of nonverbal signals they were giving that you don't really pay attention to when you're diagonally across at each other. Those things led into workplaces and yeah, so there were all these little breadcrumbs along the way, Andy, that connected the dots and started to build my listening muscles from a very, very young age. And when did the deep listening quest take formation? When did that come to life? Well, that was a very protracted conversation <laughs> with a wonderful Irishman. His name is Dermot. And uh, I would go to Dermot once a month as someone I admired. I thought of him as a mentor. And uh, I went to him once and I said, Dermot, I've got, I've got this really ambitious goal I want to test with you. I want to train 10,000 people to be deep listeners. And he, he just laughed with this beautiful laugh and he says, hey, at a zero, come back next month. 
And I thought, huh, what do you mean? Now, by the way, another thing you don't know about me, I have dyscalculus, which means my relationships with numbers is is very poor. I spin numbers around, but yeah, a story for another day. So I come back next month, Dermot, I've figured out how to get to train 100,000 deep listeners. Before I'd finished saying the word listeners, he said, add a zero, come back next month. (laughs) Okay. So add a zero, come back next month. And I go, okay, Dermot, I figured out how to get to a million deep listeners in the workplace. And I said, before you tell me to add a zero, that's the absolute maximum I can do. And there was this really long pause and he stroked his chin and he looked at me with all the wisdom that he could muster, kind of like a grandpa looking at a grandson. (laughs) And he said something as profound as what Tracy said. And I'm not going to try and do the Irish accent. It would be a disservice (laughs) to Dermot. He, He said to me, if you can achieve your goal in your lifetime, it's not worth your effort. You need to be thinking three generations ahead. The impact of what you do needs to be transmitted through multiple generations. Come back next month. Tell me what you can do in three generations. And I was like gobsmacked. Like I had I twisted every conceivable way to understand how to get to a million deep listeners. And the number didn't scare me. I'd worked at Microsoft. I knew what big numbers were and how to get out there. So I've, I've figured it out. And I came back next month and I said, Dermot, you're right. It's 100 million deep listeners in the workplace. He said, that is worthy of you. Go make it happen. Wow. So for many of us, um, the goals we set will become a North Star on a compass setting for life. And every decision I make is for one unit of time, is that going to be multiplied? That's why being interviewed by you, Andy, I don't know who's going to listen. I don't know who's going to be impacted by this. I don't know the chain reaction of that. I've, I've heard stories about Thanksgiving dinners in the United States where for decades a grumpy uncle was ignored. And because of something I said on a podcast interview, it completely changed the Thanksgiving dinner from a very tense and adversarial event to something that was truly breakthrough and transformational. And I was lucky enough to get an email from somebody explaining that. I was very grateful for that because sometimes you never know the impact of what you do, not only because you're not there, but you also may not be alive. Uh, A funny story about Dermot. One month I went to him and complained that it's like, nobody's reading my newsletters, Dermot. And he said, you idiot. He said, if you're talking about listening, do a podcast. And I thought, oh, it's so <laughs> obvious. <laughs> I, I find it absolutely fascinating to hear where the influences for these things come from. I guess mm. 
When you say deep listening, Oscar, hmm. what are you defining as deep listening? So active listeners listen to what's said. Deep listeners notice what's not said. And I want to share the maths and the neuroscience of listening so you understand for somebody who has dyscalculus and a weird <laughs> relationship with numbers, these three numbers, when I talk to clients about it, like the penny drops really quickly, whether mm. it's a customer care person inside a bank or whether it's a prison guard, whether it's a school principal or whether it's somebody who works in a pharmaceutical company or a financial services company. I had a detective senior sergeant from the police force on my LinkedIn profile the other day. Oh. And I thought, oh, this can't be good. <laughs> so I sent him a message and said, um, is there anything I can help you with? And he goes, no, I'm just listening to your podcast and I'm picking up lots of great tips <laughs> about how to listen. And I thought, phew, because what you don't know about my name, my surname, is that um, in Australia it's one of the three major mafia crime family names. But um, I think we'll pick that up another time. <laughs> I did not know that. There you go. How interesting. So back to the numbers. Yeah. So 125, 400, 900. Let me unpick each of those numbers so you understand it. First, I'm going to describe it from the speaker's perspective because the hardest position in listening is actually to be the speaker. Most people think it is to be the listener. And then I'm going to describe the numbers from the listener's perspective. So bear with me. I'm going to do each individually because listening is a simultaneous equation. And like comedy, the value of listening doesn't sit with the comedian. It sits in the audience. Now, I'm not going to talk about sex, okay, Andy? That's <laughs> a, definitely. We want to keep it uh, PG so you can keep your podcast. <laughs> From a speaker's perspective right now, I can speak at roughly 125 words per minute. This is the workplace average speaking speed. Now, if you're a horse race caller or a cattle yard auctioneer, you can be speaking at about 200 words per minute and we can completely understand everything they're saying at 200 words per minute. No problem. Yet the speaker can think on average at 900 words per minute. So that means the very first thing they say is 14% of what they think and what they mean. I'll say that again. The very first thing that somebody says is only 14% of what they think and mean. Speaking is like a rinse cycle for the brain. It gets the idea out and people who have their mind in a wash cycle, it means it's turbulent, it's sudsy, it's agitated, and it's not moving anywhere. It's just going left, right, left, right, left, right. Yeah, when you speak, you get this rent cycle opportunity to say it out loud. And when you say it out loud, you often go, ooh, okay. That wasn't all I was thinking. Yeah, for most people, they want to take a gamble and just have a conversation with someone about the first 14% of what they say. Mm. The 86% of what they say is what I want to talk about when we come to deep listeners. Active listeners are listening to the 14%. They're trained really well to listen to what people say. Deep listeners are trained not only to listen to what people say, but to notice what they haven't said, what they haven't thought, and what they haven't meant. The role of a deep listener is to help the speaker communicate 
what they truly want to communicate, not the very first thing they say. Imagine typing an email and just pressing send without checking it. Well, that's what most conversations are like. Now, let's move from there to the listener's position. But before we do, Andy, have you got any questions about the maths of the speaker's perspective right now, what that means maybe for you? Well, no, I, I, I think when I read the stats in your book, there was, like you say, a bit of a penny drop. I mean, I'm definitely one of those guys who talks while they think. That's just my my personality profile. But actually seeing the ratios <laughs> between the three things starkly in front of you is quite an aha moment and helps explain a lot of those collisions that happen in conversations i think so no i'm all ears my friend you you continue because i find this stuff fascinating and it's a massive um setup construct for your other framework i think within within the book one thing i'd offer quickly to you it's a, an invitation only it's not a recommendation it's not a suggestion is how often do you tell other people that when you speak, you're thinking out aloud? A fair amount, actually. Yeah, a fair amount. Yeah. And when you don't, what's the impact of that for you and for them in the conversation? Um, I think sometimes it's hard for them to follow me or I feel it's hard to follow where I'm going, if I'm honest. Mm. Yeah. So one of the big outputs from the research is the more you can communicate about your preferred communication preference mm. at the beginning of the conversation, the less friction will take place. And we know from our research that conversations actually finish much quicker when you listen more deeply because you don't just keep spinning around in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So if you can communicate about how you communicate, that will make a huge difference. And when you express to somebody that you think best by speaking out aloud, they're more productive conversations. So my invitation for you who are listening to us right now is there's an opportunity in a relationship where there is trust and where the content and context you're discussing is fairly predictable. In the next conversation, do what Andy does and just announce the way you think best. I was brought into a boardroom once by the chair and he said to me, I need you to watch this particular board member. She doesn't engage. She's disconnected. She's not a team player. I thought, wow, there's an interesting brief. Mm. The board meeting went on the East time sequence, nine till 10.30, morning tea break till 11, 11 till 1 o'clock with a one-hour break for lunch, and then they continued on for the rest of the day. And as I watched everybody interacting with each other, occasionally I'd look at this person as she was taking notes, as she was gazing down consistently, either at the table, at her notes, at her feet. She wasn't making direct contact with her eyes with any of the PowerPoint slides that were dealing with really complex calculations, which was ironic because I didn't understand any of them. <laughs> and the morning tea break came and I, I took her aside and I simply asked her this question, how do you concentrate? And she said, I get very distracted by visual prompts, whether that's PowerPoint, whether that's people speaking. I'm 
need to concentrate really hard. And by doing that, sometimes I close my eyes to remove the visual distraction and I take really good notes. And she did because the reflection she made back to the group, everybody was paying attention when she mentioned something. Now, she was always sharp to the point, but very insightful. I said, would you be okay announcing that to the group when we come back after the break? She goes, sure. So she explained to the group. And the tension in the room evaporated. And for the next 90 minutes, the board engaged in a very different way. And at lunchtime, I took the chair aside. I said, look, my work is done. I think I should leave. I think I'm impacting the group dynamic. He says to me, are you you expecting to get paid for the full day? (laughs) I said, I'm expecting to get paid for the value I created in this meeting. And he says, of course, we'll pay you for the full day. That's, That's not a question. I said, but you and I do need to have a conversation about your unconscious bias in communication styles. Mm. He goes, I knew this was going to come back and be about me, Oscar. (laughs) My admin will set up a time with you shortly. I realised that what I thought was the problem was actually the way I was leading the meeting. Now let's come back to the next set of numbers from the listener's perspective because sometimes we just don't realise that we have different listening styles. Mm. We're coded through the education system to listen for similarity. And there's two ways of attending to the world, listening for similarity and listening for difference. And Harvard has done an implicit bias assessment of over 20 million people. And again, it reinforces that 92% of people have a thinking pattern and a listening pattern for similarities. They're trying to match with previous experience previous professional training, previous family interactions, previous industry experience. So just notice, neither is correct or incorrect, by the way. You can listen for similarity and difference. It's just you need to choose as a listener which one's going to be effective. Mm. Now, although I can speak, Andy, at 125 words per minute, you can listen probably at up to 400 words per minute. So we can all watch YouTube videos. In fact, some of you are listening to this podcast at 1.5 times speed and you can still understand everything that's going on. And while you are listening for the 125 words per minute, the balance, the 300 words, you're just filling in. You're jumping ahead, you're anticipating, you're pattern matching, you're disagreeing, you're thinking about lunch, you're thinking about dinner, you're thinking about some gardening you should have done on the weekend, whatever it is you're not completely in the moment. And again, good listeners drift off and don't realise they're not connected to the conversation. A deep listener just notices when the distraction is there Mm. and they come back into the conversation much, much quicker. Mm. So just knowing those numbers, the ambassador community and the people we've worked with all say, when, when you know that you've got peripheral hearing as well as peripheral vision and you can listen much faster than they can speak, you don't beat yourself up so much when you drift away and you're just conscious of it and you come back to the conversation so much more quickly. I think that word conscious is 
for me, a major theme right that runs th- through the book. And I made the statement at, in the intro around, or maybe ask the question, do we take listening for granted? And from all of what you've said, Oscar, from all of what we've talked about so far, do you feel that we do take listening for granted? There's a paradox in listening. Hmm. And here's the paradox. At 32 weeks inside your mother's womb, the first skill you learned was to listen. You could distinguish your mother's voice from any other sound. Now, this is critical genetically, so you know where to get fed when you kind of come out. And at 36 weeks, you can distinguish Beethoven from the Beatles, from Bon Jovi, from Justin Bieber. Yet the minute we come into the world, you you come into the world kicking and screaming and wanting to be noticed. In fact, the time they put on your birth certificate is the time you scream. That's (laughs) when, you know, your lungs are working and and you're fully alive. A lot of listening is actually unlearning bad habits that you've developed from familial relationships, whether that's your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your grandfather, your auntie, your uncle, your grandmother, your school teacher, your sports master, your music teacher. People say, oh, look, I never had any formal training in how to listen. I learn maths. I learn English. I learn chemistry. I learn music. I learn all these other languages, but I didn't learn the language of listening. Mm. And my hypothesis is that the more present you are to yourself and the less conscious you are of what the other person is, the more transformational the listening experience is for the speaker because our research group says when the speaker is present and we know they're not fidgeting with their phone, their connected watch, their laptop or anything else that could be distracting them, The speaker says they relax and say what they really want to say. They don't beat around the bush. They don't discuss things. They don't express them in a way that's convoluted. So when we think about listening and do we take it for granted, the question isn't can we learn more? The question is how can we shed the layers of skin that we've developed in our lifetime from learning to listen to others Mm. and just Be in the moment with that other person. And when you do, you know, people say that in the workshops we run, whether that's online across the world where people are in completely different time zones or face-to-face, they'll say words like, I never thought I'd say that out aloud. I didn't realise I meant that. And yet when they do, they can move on. It's like this amazing release of energy for them and for the listener as well. Now, listening in the workplace is not therapy. Therapy, Please don't confuse the two. Listening in the workplace is about outcomes, whether you're in commerce, whether you're in the public sector, whether you're in organisations that are for-purpose or non-for-profit. Listening in the workplace is just about better communication and more improved dialogue. So my invitation, paradoxically, to everybody is, uh, despite what I've coded into listening, if we could just unlearn some really bad habits, listening becomes really light and easy and energising as opposed to draining, Mm. taxing, 
and difficult, which is most how most people describe it when they come into our workshops. I often ask them, what colour is your listening battery as you arrive today? And a lot of people bring up oranges, yellows and reds. Some people put black. They're just not ready to listen. Mm. The first person you need to listen to is not the speaker. You need to listen to yourself. I think that's really interesting and a bit of an intro into your framework that comes in the book. So my takeout, and I'm more interested to, to understand your perspective on it and, and how we could use it. Yes, there's there's a whole piece in the book about listening to yourself and preparing yourself. And I guess it was getting ready for a conversation before you have a conversation. And then I think the sort of the three major takeouts for me were about the content, the context and the meaning that's associated with that conversation. So if mm. we think about, you've talked about sort of getting better at conversations and sort of tweaking your skills. When hmm. when you do this work, when you think about that framework, what are the common yep. problems that people are faced with or trying to sort out? And ultimately, how does that drive the problems you are trying to solve with all this great deep listening work that you're trying to do? If we quickly just go through the five levels of listening, which is yeah. the framework which holds everything together. It holds the four villains of listening together. It holds together the listening quiz. It holds together the book, the podcast. It holds together the practice cards. The five levels of listening are, number one, level one, listening to yourself. That's the foundation. Level two is listening to the content. It's what you see. It's what you hear. It's what you sense. At those level one and two, we're listening to things. We're listening to ourselves. We're listening to the content. At level three, four, and five, we're listening for things. We're listening for the context at level three. These are all the actors that surround the principles on stage. This is the backstory. This is the way they use language. This is their cultural context. This is their professional background. This is the problem they're seeking to solve. At level four, we're listening for what's not said. And we've already touched a bit on the science that supports that. Mm. And then at level five, we're listening for their meaning. And those three levels, level three, four, and five, we're listening for things. Now, most people in our research database of 23,000 listeners are stuck at level one. They have so many browser tabs open in their head, their memory is completely flooded and they're not available to speak, let alone listen to the other person because they're thinking about the last meeting, the next meeting, what happened in the last meeting with this person, what I, I've got my agenda, I want an outcome, and they just can't be present. What gets in the way of most people is themselves. And every orchestra, no matter if they played in the same venue three hours earlier in matinee and they're doing the evening performance or the day after, Every musician in an orchestra or a band will tune their instruments before they commence the act of the performance. And they do that as an act of professionalism, humility, and respect for the other musicians, the conductor, and the audience. 
Yet this is how most people turn up to the meeting. I'm sorry I'm late. I, my last meeting ran over time. Um, I'm really sorry. And they may arrive in the first five minutes of the meeting physically. Mentally, they arrive 15 minutes later when they decompress and process what was going on in the last meeting. One simple tip we recommend, if you are the host of a meeting and you control the calendar invite for the meeting in the workplace, for a one-hour meeting, start the meeting at five after the hour and finish at five to the hour. Create space. When our ambassador community does this, they tell me, wow, Oscar, people turn up to the meeting excited, energised and looking forward because they've had time to have a a cup of tea, a drink of water, a quick sandwich. Mm. They've got time to go to the restroom. And when they arrive at five past, they're grateful, they're present, and they're available to the dialogue. Now, most of our ambassador community report that meetings typically go even shorter than that because they learn to listen to what matters. But most of us are stuck there. 86% of people in our research, we're stuck there. We're stuck not listening to ourselves. And it's very difficult to step up to each level in the five levels of listening if you haven't built muscles at the previous level because you can kind of get away with listening at level two and three without that muscle in place. But distraction will show up very quickly. Remember, 400 words per minute Mm. you can listen at. Yeah, 125 they can speak at. So you have to be conscious of that. So it's real basic. When I interviewed Professor Stefan van der Steckel from Utrecht University in the Netherlands, and I had to say that about 300 times to get the pronunciation <laughs> correct. It's excellent. <laughs> He's written many books on attention, and he talks about working memory and the role of working memory. And I asked him the question that everybody asked me, can you multitask? Yes, you can. If you're performing a routine task that has predictable participants and predictable outcomes, chopping vegetables, gardening, driving the car while listening to the radio, all of these things you can listen to other things while doing predictable tasks. Mm. Yet if you're in a workplace where collaboration is required with another human, creativity is required, maybe there's competition in the way the organisation faces the market. Maybe there's conflict in the workplace. Maybe there's restricted resources in the workplace. Stefan says, Oscar, when it comes to listening to another human, the only thing working memory is capable of doing is listen. He said, you can task switch While you're trying to listen to somebody else, but you won't do the task effectively, nor will you listen effectively. Mm. And often, just by the use of my silence in some workplaces, I can, like a Jedi mind trick, get laptops and their lids to go down in meetings because I'm bringing a presence to the meeting that they realize we're changing the way we communicate. But don't fool yourself. You can't do the instant message, what app, connected watch thing while talking to another human in the workplace about something that requires progress. So that's what gets in the way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Oscar, this is a topic that 
you could talk about for hours and hours and hours. There's so yeah, much. I can talk about it for years, mate. <laughs> There's so much in the book. I feel like I am really not doing justice to the content within it in a 45, 50 minute podcast. In in some sort of way of trying to leave the listeners with some critical takeaways, Oscar. I have this part in the show that I call sticky notes where we try and summarize the kind of practical takeaways. We love practical things. If you were to capture three critical parts that would help people listening to this podcast go away and become better listeners on their way to deep listeners, what would your three sticky notes be, my friend? Use the technology. Don't be a slave to technology. That means manage your notifications. Number two, drink a glass of water before you go into a conversation and drink a glass of water every 30 minutes. So drink water. That sends a signal to this part of the body, the parasympathetic nervous system around the lungs, the heart and the gut. It's got more nerve endings than the brain. When you drink water, that whole system, just relaxes and when you relax you're okay so number one use the technology don't be a slave to technology number two drink a glass of water and tip number three take a deep breath before you go into a conversation and there is a correct way to do this in through your nose down to the bottom of your diaphragm, which is at the bottom of your lungs, and then out through your mouth. Most people breathe in and out through their mouth. When you get distracted, when you're confused, when you really want to speak, just take a deep breath in. The deeper you breathe, the deeper you listen. So those three tips again, manage your notifications, drink a glass of water, and take a deep breath. Now, Andy, I know you took something away from the book around breathing. I'd love you to share that. Yeah, um, box breathing. So this is a four, 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 four count, right? So uh, I think I've revealed my dirty secret before that I play lawn bowls. Yep, it's out there in the open. Um, and when I lead my team, I like to think that I am a beautiful combination of competitive spirit and collaboration. My face will tell a different story. And uh, occasionally my watch will tell me a different story as well because my Garmin will say, you need to breathe. You're getting a, you're getting a bit stressed. And it wasn't really until that I had read a very early chapter in the book that references box breathing with the breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, hold for four, that actually I really tuned into my breathing and it was the holds it was the in fact it was the second hold that was the kind of big big change and uh, i'm look this i am not a kind of new world hippie kind of guy that is into all the kind of spiritual stuff i, I think i'm an emotional guy but this breathing thing's different this really helped me focus so look if i can do it I'm pretty much sure anybody can do that. So box breathing, four, 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 four. Who knew? Who knew it would change so many things, my friend? Thank you for introducing me to that. Thanks to James Nestor, who's written the book on the topic, many books, in fact, on how to breathe. Absolutely amazing. Oscar, 
we have not done anything like justice to your book, but I have to say, I have loved listening to you. I love your stories. There are so many more stories in the book. And for me, as somebody who's a slow reader who has to put voices into everything, hearing the man behind it all tell some of those stories has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Andy, you did a great job. Thanks for listening to me. It's my my absolute pleasure. Now, uh, in the show notes, we'll give links of where to get the book and to access the listening quiz, right? Um, That'd be a good thing for people to do. Yeah, rather than connect with me, please just connect with your own listening. Take the seven-minute quiz. At listeningquiz.com, you'll get a report that tells you what your primary listening barrier is, and more importantly, tips about what to do that are tailored specifically to your primary and secondary listening villains. Amazing. Oscar, thanks so much for coming today, mate. I really appreciate it, and good luck with all the deep listening quests, my friend. Thanks for becoming part of the ambassador community and spreading the word, Andy. Delighted to do so, my friend. I'm going to take a few minutes just to reflect on the conversation I've just had with Oscar. Now, I don't normally do a reflective session at the end of a podcast, but I think today warrants it. I genuinely think my time spent with Oscar and the investment in reading his book is going to make, and it was already made, quite a fundamental change to me. I definitely think listening is something I would have put myself in the bracket of being a good listener. I think reading the book and listening to Oscar himself showed that that was not the case. And like many other people, I thought I was better at something than I actually was. I think my key takeouts from listening to what's been said and the lessons that Oscar is trying to share or as he would say, the invitation that he is dropping is to do a number of things. I've definitely learned that listening starts before the conversation takes place. Listening to yourself and preparing yourself and getting yourself in the right state to have a good conversation. I think one of the game-changing pieces in, in the work is to listen out for the similarities, which is what we're pre-wired to do, but most importantly, the differences As Oscar would say, there's no right or wrong, but just recognize whether you're listening for similarities or listening for difference. And listening for difference can open up a whole bunch of possibilities in that conversation when you're listening. And really importantly, is listening with your whole body and listening to what's not said. I don't have to sit here saying, oh, buy the book, read the book. But I do feel this is one of those situations where it's had quite a profound effect on me and if any of my listeners if any of you can get the same benefit from it then please go and check out that book it's it's a game changer okay that was oscar trimboli and if you'd like to find out anything more about him or any of the topics that we've talked about today please check out the show notes so That concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, 
Thanks for listening. 